Talk to my friend Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. One of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As die-hard conservative to this guy for wisdom. Happy Thanksgiving Eve to you, Captain, of course. I am thankful for you. I'm thankful for my family, of course, in this time of year. And we have much to be thankful for, even though these are difficult times. Um, This is a special time of the year for a lot of people, I think, because it really opens the door uh, to a spirit of, of thankfulness, obviously, followed up by Christmas. And there is always reason to be optimistic and be happy. And we have to cling on to those things as well, because those are what are ultimately going to fuel us in our never-ending endeavor to rescue the country. So we have to focus on those things that are good as well. It can't be all doom and gloom. I know some of you might be thinking, well, that's rich coming from you, Drew, because you get on here every time and you (laughs) preach hellfire and brimstone. But no, I am thankful for much. I'm thankful to live in this country still. And even in dire circumstances, I'm thankful to be an American because of what it still represents, of what is in our DNA, if you will, the patriotism, the sacrifice of so many great people. I mean, we live in the greatest country in the history of mankind. We still do. That's true. Even if America were to end tomorrow, we would still be those most blessed individuals who did live uh, in a period of time in a civilization, a society that was the pinnacle of mankind. That, that's the truth about this country. And ultimately, I think that it is the knowledge deep down that we do live in a special place, that those of us who love this country will always fight to maintain that, revive that dream, because it has been successful. It's not just something that in our minds we say, wouldn't it be nice to create a country that was like this thing, America, this mythical thing? You know, that's what the found, that's the, what, what's amazing about the founding fathers. They had no idea if the American experiment was going to work. We are the beneficiaries of what they did in 1776 and thereafter. Again, no country's perfect. No one is saying that. No human being is perfect. Nobody listening to this show is perfect. Some are more perfect than others. I'm pretty close, unless you ask my wife. But I just wanted to start the show off that way. I'm going to try and maintain kind of a a tone like this, Captain. You know, I'm, I'm not a trained broadcaster by profession, right? Most people aren't anymore, Captain. It's kind of a, it's strange. I mean, Rush Limbaugh, I've got to bring him up. I do miss him because, of course, every uh, Thanksgiving or the day before Thanksgiving, his last broadcast, he would, he put together and worked on it over time and, and built it up, but he would talk about the true story of Thanksgiving and about how really it was the first example of capitalism and the failures of socialism. But Rush, of course, was a trained broadcaster. That's one thing that set him apart from anybody who could even try to step in his shoes. He came from that world, and then he blew past all his competitors. I listen to some people who are still in that trained broadcasting category, Captain, and it's a little bit too put on. It doesn't come across as authentic because it's like a show, like, I'm going to use this voice. Rush had a way of effortless, effortlessly using his broadcast training as a professional and also connecting with his audience. And I don't know. You know, I think, I think this time of the year is uh, kind of nostalgic for a lot of people. It brings up a lot of emotions. You know, I was, I was on a show yesterday, Captain. It was the Robert Scott Bell show. Really wonderful host, really intelligent individual. And before the show, he, uh, his producer there had just, well, paid for his daughter's wedding. And, you know, they've been doing this together for, you know, 
20 years. So they were talking about this. The audience knows them intimately. So he shared this and he played some video from the wedding of him dancing with his daughter who, you know, he gave away in marriage. And something happened to me, Captain, since I had a daughter. I have become kind of soft, soft. You know, I get a little, I get a little teary-eyed now, whereas in the past, I never had to deal with those emotions. I don't know what these emotions are. I don't know what these emotions are where I get tears in my eyes, whether it's happiness or sadness. I used to be just a rock. I am not a rock anymore, and it's because of my eight-month-old daughter. But I watched that, and I thought, that'll be me one day. And I don't know how I'm going to deal with that situation because that's my girl. That's my daughter. That's my baby. But you know, when I sit behind this microphone or I do other things intended to inform, educate, in some way contribute to hopefully what will be the rescuing of America, the preservation of America, the improvement of America, that same feeling I have towards my daughter watching that kind of uh, uh, imagery of someone else's daughter being married. You know, it's, it's that love that I have that I didn't have before because you can't have it until you actually are a parent. I mean, it's so funny. My dad's here, Captain. It's so interesting, this generational thing that happens where it's like, you know, I, I was on the phone with my sister yesterday and my dad was in the room we're talking to my sister and i'm holding my daughter and i think this is wild you know there's you know just the generation this is it's special it's so special but but i um but i have this love and everything i do um is out of love for this country and out of a desire to see my daughter succeed and have opportunity but anyway we've got a lot to get to captain we set the timer for me we said an hour. I probably talked an hour already. Well, I'm going to get into this later. Israel has made a deal with Hamas for a hostage release. And in my opinion, this is a trap. And it's a trap set by the U.S. government and the Biden administration. <clears throat> and in fact, it is a Biden deal. It's really a Biden, well, you understand, when I say Biden, I don't really mean Biden. I mean the Obama uh, holdovers that are in his administration running things. We know that Joe. when they say, Joe Biden brokered this brilliant deal, he got on the phone. Give me a break. So Joe Biden, when he's in private, somehow he's a different person than the one we see when he's in public, you know, once a week, and he can't get through a teleprompter address. That Joe Biden, oh, he's the one that's just picking up the phone and saying, I mean, the guy doesn't know where he is. He's bumbling. He's wandering around the stage. He's asking, where, where do I, where do I go next? Where do I go next? And then Jill Biden, EDD, has to come in and grab his arm and lead him off the stage. Oh yeah, that Joe Biden's calling up world leaders and brokering deals. Give me a break, Captain. Give me a break. The, 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 the charade is over for the American people, actually. There's not much more the Democrats can do to pretend that he's running anything, or that he's capable of running this country. The only thing he's doing is running it into the ground by way of himself being a proxy for American destruction. But I'll get into that in a little bit. So stick around. You'll want to hear what I have to say about the Israel deal, why it's bad, what to expect next. I'm very, very worried about this because the precedent it's setting and why this deal was really made. Because you have to understand that Nothing is as it appears. Uh, this administration has ulterior motives for everything. And unfortunately, we have Antony Blinken, Tony Blinken, and other people in this Biden administration, which I know it's hard to believe, but they are anti-Semites. They actually hate Israel. They actually side and are sympathetic with terrorists around the world. Why else would this administration and previously the Obama administration provide money to Iran, which we know funds terrorism? But we're going to go down memory lane in a little bit when we talk about Israel and, and understand and revisit again how great we had it when Trump was president, what he might do in this situation, and in fact, what he did do 
in the past in 2017 when he gave the middle finger to Qatar, which we are not willing to do now, even though they are harboring the very terrorists responsible for orchestrating the slaughter, murder of 1,200 innocent Israelis and the kidnapping of the hostages. But first, because it's Thanksgiving Eve, I want to talk about Argentina. There's a lot of hope in what happened in Argentina. And it's important that we talk about these stories of hope. It's important that we recognize when things are moving in the right direction. Pardon me. And Argentina is very important because it marks a massive shift in the mentality of the Argentinian people. You have to understand that Argentina, of course, once very, very prosperous, the most prosperous country uh, in South America. Um, Argentina has been destroyed by socialism. Absolutely just gutted. And there we're talking about 100% inflation. You have to understand what 100% or it might be a little over 100%, but 100% inflation, what that looks like. We are dealing with a difficult period in our country now with inflation. And we know that it means that our dollar goes uh, doesn't go as far and that it's hurting our wallets. But when you're talking about 100% inflation, day-to-day prices are fluctuating massively. As a matter of fact, when you have inflation like they've had in Argentina, you actually can't even understand how much something costs anymore. You could go to the grocery store today and you could buy a turkey and it's 40 bucks. Tomorrow you go and it's 80 bucks. The next day it's 140 bucks. Imagine the uncertainty in an economy like that. That's what Argentina has been dealing with for quite some time. And the Argentinian people have, especially the young people, for very many years, through indoctrination, of course, just like in our country, they've gravitated towards socialism. This is what they've embraced. And the people in Argentina are finally fed up with the left. And this is happening in America, too. It is happening. But they are recognizing that their lives and their country have been destroyed by leftist policies and ideology. They're waking up. And you pronounce his last name, Malay, Captain? Well, this is somebody who ran on a platform that was effectively, I mean, he's kind of, you know, known as a libertarian, but his platform was essentially conservatism. It's what the Republican Party used to represent or would represent and does represent when you actually have somebody with conservative values and principles in there. And ultimately, it was the economy that was the most important factor in changing people's hearts and minds. And that's always been traditionally the most important factor in any election. It is whoever's in charge, what's going on with the economy, because everyone feels the repercussions of a bad economy. Everyone feels the benefits of a strong economy that benefits everyone. And this guy, Malay, the new president of Argentina, he doesn't hold back. He doesn't try and reach across the aisle. He doesn't make excuses for the left and what they've done. He calls them out for the evil bastards that they are. So one, he's an excellent communicator. And, you know, I'll give you one example. Tucker Carlson went over there. I believe he went to Argentina to do this, but he had an interview with Malay last month before winning election. And 
Here's what Malay said to Tucker about the dangers of socialism. Now, he, it's amazing. Malay was telling Americans to look out for socialism, right? And he told us in his message through Tucker, never allow yourself to be seduced by the siren song of social justice. What a great man. You know, listening to this, it's kind of like when I go to church and the pastor gives a wonderful message and I say, wow, that resonates. That's so strong and powerful. That's what Malay was able to do in many ways with the simplification of his message. And it's, it, it is simple. Socialism, socialism is perilous. It leads to destruction. But Malay also said, don't get caught up in that terrible concept that where there is a need, there is a right. I mean, that is to the point. Where there is a need, there is a right. He continued, he said that this doesn't happen on its own and those who desire to oppose socialism must be ready to fight a culture war every day. And that's important too because we have to be prepared to fight and go into battle every day to save the country. Because the other side, the demons in this country, that want to destroy it and take everything from you, including your children, they wake up ready to do battle. So we have to wake up ready to do battle as well. So this guy, Malay, he's anti-woke, if you want to call it that. Totally anti-woke. I mean, this guy's going in and he's already taken a sledgehammer to the bureaucracy. Um, you know, do you, do you know they had a trans labor quota in the public sector in Argentina? I, I, crazy. Cra- and I, I got to admit, you know, I've got one buddy who is from Argentina. He's married to my, my wife's a dear friend. And they live in Southern California. And it's amazing because he's like a pro-Trump guy. This Argentinian friend of mine. So you listen to Americans who are sitting here attacking Trump all day long. And they're unable to recognize what Trump did for the country. But if you're from somewhere like the socialist dystopia of Argentina in the past, and you know what the left is doing and what they've already done and what America's future looks like there. I mean, this is the last place. This is still the only, the last place you can come. And you know what, Captain, as a matter of pride, as a proud American, I really, it's like intolerable to me in my mind to imagine a world in which I have to yearn to go to another country because they are actually the new America, right? I, I I want other countries to emulate what the founding fathers wanted here, like Malay will hope, hopefully do successfully in Argentina. And I love Argentina. I, this, this is not an attack on Argentina, but as an American, as the leader with our rich history, can you imagine, Captain, if we become Argentina of the past and Argentina becomes the America of the past and we do a switcheroo and all of us in America are like, man, we got to move to Argentina. I don't want that to happen. I just want a vacation in Argentina where the people there are happy and successful, and I want to remain an American and stay here. But they used paper ballots exclusively in Argentina. And they didn't have any uh, pauses in counting in the middle of the night. They didn't have any reports of issues with uh, electronic ballot machines and so on, electronic voting machines. And they got, I think, 20 million of them. They got them counted like that. So we can do that in America, too, and we should be doing that. And there is a case moving uh, right now through court uh, that may pave the way for a paper ballot situation in America. But, I mean, paper ballots, objectively, if you, if you oppose paper ballots, it's because you believe and know that you can cheat without them. And you know that you want that to happen. There is no reason to oppose paper ballots. It's the only way to prevent fraud. The only way. And even then, I, get, I guarantee you, people will find a way to cheat in some capacity, but not on a scale that actually does make a huge impact. So what I, my takeaway from what's going on in Argentina and what just happened in Argentina 
You notice that countries that have been destroyed by the same policies the Democrat Party espouses here are adopting our conservative principles to save their countries. Even in China, for example, I brought this up before in the past, they adopted elements of capitalism to make themselves competitive. So all around the world where you see countries actually improve their economic situation or improve in any capacity across the board, they are implementing American principles. But here in America, we're doing the opposite. We are engineering our destruction. Captain says, check out El Salvador, what they've done to save themselves. Look what they did rounding up. It was MS-13, wasn't it, Captain? They rounded up, I don't know, thousands of people. You can't do this. Yes, they did it. So, you know, it's only a matter of time before we become like Argentina. Not the hopeful possibility of a future Argentina led by Malay, but the current Argentina and that which preceded it, which was a hellhole, I must say. That's where we're headed because the same policies and ideology that wrecked basically every country, but Argentina specifically in this example, are the very same policies that the Democrat Party supports here and is implementing. So, just remember that. But there's good news in America, too. And indeed, 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 I'm going to have to address the DeSantis stuff. Again, I don't want to make this whole show about DeSantis, honestly, but there are just elements of this that come up constantly because, honestly, we're fighting the left every single day, and now we have to fight the DeSantis campaign every single day. And I know, I know some of you want DeSantis. And again, you know, if you've listened to the show, that I respect you. That's not what it's about. But I'll get into that in a minute. But to lay the groundwork for my arguments that are to come about what should be happening in the primary and the things that are hurting us, frankly, things are so bad for Joe Biden. Things are so bad for him that he can't even get Cardi B to vote for him. Cardi B, you know, I I don't want to be mean here. Not the brightest crayon, if you will. And that's like an automatic D, right? I mean, Cardi B, it's like you just got to be a Democrat to get Cardi B's vote. So Joe Biden's so bad that he can't even get Cardi B. Cardi B came out. And said she won't vote for Joe Biden. I mean, you got to be really bad to convince Cardi B not to vote for a Democrat presidential candidate. And you're seeing this across the board. And I'm joking a little bit, but it's also a, a very serious and positive sign because we have an opportunity. I mean, if Cardi B is coming out, and look, Cardi B's not determining election results, you know, it's not like she's Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift can get every woman in America to do whatever she wants. You know, that's how powerful Taylor Swift is, apparently. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, she has some relevance. She does, she is, she's able to do a few things, but I mean, you know, on our side, Captain, we're so, uh, we're so pathetic sometimes, honestly. In our, our political analysis, we lost the abortion issue because of Taylor Swift. No, we didn't lose the abortion issue because of Taylor. Don't give her that much credit. Don't give her that much credit. She's not mobilizing 81 million voters to vote for Joe Biden. 81 million. You notice, Captain, that this administration has no idea what to do now because they've tried Bidenomics and nobody buys it. I mean, imagine, Captain, after uh, three years of just perpetual malaise in the country in which prices go up, inflation's out of control, people are hurting. And his policies continue to make it worse. He doubles down on them. And you go to the grocery store and reality tells you that you're poor. But the Biden administration, just their strategy is to tell you that you're not poor. Eventually, well, people don't believe you. 
And the Biden administration cannot comprehend that us peons in this country, us mere subjects of the Biden regime, King Joe Biden, Robinette the 64th, you know, whatever, they can't, they can't tolerate the fact that we just don't agree with them, that we don't buy the propaganda. Shut up, you peons. Shut up. You have no right to be upset with us. You should be grateful to let Joe Biden sniff your daughter's recently shampooed hair. But they, but they, they can't admit it. So, I mean, it's amazing watching. And this is the attitude of these elites. How dare you question us? Just shut up. Shut up, you. And so they, they, they're just like, they get, they're upset that we don't accept their propaganda and that people disapprove of Joe Biden. I mean, I mean, the only thing they can do is lie. And so they have no alternative. So they're lying and lying and lying and nobody's buying it anymore. So they don't have another option. But my point in talking about Cardi B and the Joe Biden situation is to explain to you that Donald Trump can win in 2024. And not just win, but win in a landslide. It's an amazing opportunity. This is a CNN, you know, what I do, Captain, you know this, but I, uh, I read a lot of left-wing publications. Because if you want to understand the enemy, you have to read what they're thinking. You have to study what they're thinking, not, not just what you think. So this is why I have a leg up on my competitors out there that try and do this. Because I study the other side. So CNN, the truth is, they write, that Trump has a small but clear advantage over Biden right now. This makes Biden just the second president since scientific polling began to trail in his reelection bid at this point in the campaign. Take a look at recent national surveys from CBS News, YouGov, CNN, SSRS, Fox News, Marquette University Law School, and Quinnipiac University. All five are high-quality polls that meet CNN standards for publication. I mean, sure, CNN suddenly has standards, but anyway. All five gave Trump an advantage of two to four points over Biden among registered or likely voters. Now, here's the thing. Why would you not believe this, Captain? You know, we're told polls don't matter. I mean, it's true. Sometimes polls are inaccurate. But given the circumstances in the country, I mean, you have to use your gut. You can't just say, well, because polls are inaccurate sometimes, all polls are inaccurate. Sometimes polls are correct, and sometimes they reflect what you're experiencing in your own life. And this matches up with that. Like, we have a lot of work to do. It's not that Trump is leading Biden in these polls by 40 points in terms of Biden. But he's got an advantage. And why wouldn't he have an advantage? Cardi B says she won't won't vote for Joe Biden. There are other people out there who are automatic Democrat voters that are saying they won't vote for Joe Biden. There's massive disapproval for him. And so, of course, Trump Trump should be leading Joe Biden. So this goes on to explain that over the past 80 years, incumbents, and Joe Biden is an incumbent if he runs, right? He says he's running. Well, on average, they've led their eventual challengers by a little more than 10 points about a year out from the election. This includes nearly every incumbent for whom we have polling since Franklin Roosevelt in 1943. This includes Barack Obama when he was an incumbent running against Mitt Romney in November 2011. This is notable, they write, because a number of Democrats have tried to dismiss the current data showing Biden in trouble by saying that Obama had been behind at this point, too. And they point out this isn't true. So Biden is on an island here. On an island. So this is what makes Trump's small polling edge right now so remarkable, they write. He never had such an edge during the 2020 campaign. I'm not just talking about this point in the 2020 cycle. I'm talking about at any point. I'm also not talking just talking about a lead in the average. I'm talking about a lead in any national poll. So Look, Biden is toast. I mean, he is a uh, wounded animal. And he's going down. And we have a real opportunity here to do what we must do, which is to take back, well, everything in 2024, but definitely the executive branch, the presidency. 
And uh, let's see, I wanted to tell you something else here. You know, in a, in a recent Emerson College polling survey, Trump has maintained his 47% support while Biden has dropped from 45 to 43. So Trump is trending upwards and Biden's trending downward, even in approval. And so the Democrats know that Trump is inevitable. But for some reason, Captain, Republicans, people on our side, don't want to believe it. They want to make their job hard. They want to find a way to, I, I, I guess, you know, it's, I, I, it's like we're masochists on our side. We have a great candidate in Trump. He has the opportunity to win in 2024, and we're coming up with reasons not to support him. Every objective reason exists to support him, and yet we're coming up with reasons not to support him. Can you imagine, Captain, if Joe Biden, if it was reversed, if it was so clear that Joe Biden was gonna was headed for winning re-election in a landslide, and Democrats were saying he's too old, we don't like him, he didn't do that. No, they would be screaming, yes, Joe Biden. And yet for some reason on our side, we're such gluttons for self-flagellation and loss that we have an amazing candidate that can actually reach across and convince those, you know, Reagan Democrats to come into the fold. We have a guy who got seven or eight million more votes in 2020 than he did in 2016. Somebody who's an absolute juggernaut who can win that Democrats are actually afraid of and we don't want to run him. It's insane to me. I mean, golly, Captain. And so, look, all right, you know, I'm going to be sensitive here, as sensitive as I can. I mean, I don't really care much about people's feelings these days. I just care about the country. But, you know, DeSantis, Iowa is do or die for DeSantis. I've explained this before. If DeSantis does not win Iowa, he's done. He's done. And so the entire DeSantis strategy is about outlasting Nikki Haley and outlasting anybody else who's in there. The DeSantis campaign understands that the only way for DeSantis to have any hope, and, and even that hope is not there, but they want it to be there, is for this to be a two-person race. So it's not a two-person race right now. The race is really a three-person race. It's Donald, it's actually, it's not. It's a one-person race. It's Donald Trump. But for those who are delusional, they want to believe that this is a two-person race because that sounds more competitive. But Nikki Haley is right there with DeSantis. And, and he's in single digits in some of these polls, DeSantis. And I, I you know, the, my, the DeSantis camp, it's the talking points. You know, I wrote a piece and I would urge you to go to my Substack, drewallen.substack.com. I wrote a piece called DeSantis's Fatal Flaw. And, you know, I think it's like 1,200 words. But, you know, I, I'm very fair and I'm very honest about, you know, what, what DeSantis had going for him and where he botched it. Uh, so you can read that. But I just want to get into some of these things. I mean... So anyway, Bob Vanderplatz, Captain, did you know who, do you know who Bob Vanderplatz is? So he did, yeah, okay, that's, I, thank you for being honest. So Captain doesn't have any idea who Bob Vanderplatz is. I didn't have a clue. I have never heard of Bob Vanderplatz until, you know, yesterday. He went on with Brett Baer. And he is an evangelical leader in Iowa. So maybe if you're in Iowa and you're an evangelical, you know who he is. But I'm just being honest with you. I, I, this guy means nothing to me. I've never heard of him. But he endorsed DeSantis. So Bob Vanderplatz, this is supposed to mean something, by the way, Captain. You know, he got Kim Reynolds in Iowa to endorse him. And, and again, I don't blame DeSantis. DeSantis, every his his 
well, it'll still die out because he's not going to win enough uh, other states. But in order to postpone the inevitable, him admitting defeat, he has to win Iowa. So he's really going hard after Iowa. It's it's everything to him. So we got Kim Reynolds, the governor, to endorse him. And now we got this evangelical leader who's supposed to be important and have you know some opinion that care. I don't care about this guy's opinion. But anyway, Bob, Bob Vanderplatz has endorsed this. Okay, it's over, Captain. All right, throw it out. Get rid of Trump. You know, Trump's got all, Trump got got uh, Greg Abbott to endorse him. Uh, he'll probably get uh, uh, Marco Rubio to endorse him at some point in the future. We'll see. But you know what? Bob Vanderplatz, the evangelical leader in Iowa, he has endorsed us. Oh, it's over. It's over. I care about Bob Vanderplatz. I, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm really not. But it, it's just I'm getting tired of. The DeSantis talking points, to be honest. You know, he said, you know, Trump's old and I'm young. Okay. Yeah, maybe you're too young to be president, in my opinion. You should have waited another four years. And and this ties into something else that bothers me. Now, Vanderplatz, his endorsement, now he's just another... he's, he's, He's a DeSantis spokesperson now, right? And by the way... By the way, DeSantis bought Vanderplatt's endorsement. Oh, yes, he did. Yes, he did. I will address what DeSantis is saying in defense, but he did buy Vanderplatt. So it turns out that Ron DeSantis, one of his super PACs, right? They paid $95,000 to the Family Leader Foundation, which is the Iowa-based nonprofit that is led by Bob Vanderplatz. Now, the DeSantis campaign is, I mean, whatever. He paid for an endorsement. He did. But it, it's not a good look. It doesn't sound good, right? So, what you have now is the DeSantis campaign running interference saying, no, 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 we, we didn't pay him $95,000. You know, we, the, 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 the foundation put on this, this, uh, you know, forum and presidential candidates were invited on July 14th. Now it's true. This was a presidential candidate forum that was put on. So I think Tucker, it was the one actually, this was the forum in which, we saw vice pre- former Vice President Mike Pence end his political future. When he, when he basically, it was slightly mischaracterized, but he still said it, and it wasn't a good look. I mean, it was a massive failure. When he said, basically, I don't care about the Americans. I, you know, I care about Ukraine. You know, I mean, that's basically what he said. And it ended his, so that's, that's, that's what we're talking about here. So they're, they're quick to point out, well, you know, this was a, a forum put on... For, Okay, none of that matters because Vanderplatz got the $95,000. So he was paid. Does it change the fact that Vanderplatz was paid $95,000 by DeSantis Super PAC? No, it doesn't matter if other presidential candidates were invited to speak or talk to Tucker or be asked questions. It was Vanderplatz who got the 95K. So he did pay $95,000 and now you have Vanderplatz endorsement. Now, Vanderplatz may very well, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of these guys who's just making up stories and I, I, you know, I don't want to do that. I mean, it's not a good look. Vanderplatz may very well have endorsed DeSantis anyway. He may very well. But my point is DeSantis did pay him $95,000 and then he got the endorsement. Okay. And now what's so loathsome about the DeSantis campaign is they're out there trying to suggest and Vanderplatz himself is claiming that, well, he's not saying it directly, he's saying it cleverly, so you can read between the lines, he's suggesting that the Trump campaign tried to buy his endorsement in the past. Okay. I mean, Trump has come out and denied that, said that's not true. And frankly, I don't know why, I don't think that Trump knew who Vanderplatz was. I don't think anybody knows who Vanderplatz, I mean, nobody nobody knows. So the idea that Trump was going to go and try and pay and buy off, you know, an endorsement from Vanderplatz, I don't think so. That's not part of his strategy. And so for them to suggest that, I mean, how does that exonerate? If they're saying, if their defense now is, well, you know, Trump, 
he approached Vanderplatz and he tried to buy the endorsement. Okay. Well, he didn't buy it, did he? But DeSantis certainly did. DeSantis paid him $95,000. Trump didn't pay him $95,000. And did you get a good deal? Do you, do, you, do, you think that, uh, do you think that DeSantis brushed up on the art of the deal? You know, Trump's famous book. You think 95000 you know, did he get a raw deal? Or was that a good deal? I don't know. But anyway, Vanderplantz is pushing this commentary from, that you hear from DeSantis now too, which is to say that Trump is going to be a lame duck president if he's reelected. Now, firstly, that's disingenuous, and frankly, it's an outright lie. You are not a lame duck president in your second term. Have you heard something so stupid, Captain? It's like, oh, so why would we ever elect someone else? Barack Obama, he was reelected for a second term. It was just lame duck. No, lame duck refers to the last two years of a presidency. And it only refers to the, the final two years if you lose one of the legislative bodies. And then you can't do anything else, right? So technically, you could argue that Biden is a lame duck president right now because we own the House of Representatives. Therefore, we have split, divided government, and he can't sign off on anything or pass anything without Republicans getting on board. So his agenda is tied up, if you will. But you know what, Captain? It's amazing. For a lame duck president, Joe Biden sure is doing a lot of damage to the country. In fact, Joe Biden who isn't even there, right? The elevator is not there. It's gone. It's gone downstairs. It's, it's, you know, <laughs> the lights are on, I guess, but that's about it. But, you know, for being a lame duck, he's doing a lot. So, you know, this is so stupid and so perverse to me that he's making these arguments. And the DeSantis campaign, my problem with him too, is they can't do simple math. They can't do simple math. I'll explain. DeSantis's big selling point for himself is that if you... If we ditch Trump, we can have him for eight years, assuming he gets elected and reelected, right? Yeah, yeah, you can have me for eight years. This is the quintessential problem with DeSantis. He's inherently selfish. Now, our plan, right, the former Trump plan before DeSantis went out and became a never-Trumper and destroyed any chance of a political future, so DeSantis's genius plan is all about him. You get eight years. Brilliant, DeSantis. Brilliant, Ron. Except it's not. You see, we wanted 12 years, right? That's four more than DeSantis is talking about because what we wanted was four years of Trump. And perhaps DeSantis could have been his VP pick. He could have been groomed, grown, had some time to mature, and prepare for being handed the baton. So we'd get four years of Trump, and then we would all enthusiastically back DeSantis as his heir apparent. So you would have four years of Trump and eight years of DeSantis, which is 12 years. You see, our plan actually included DeSantis in the future. Our, our plan actually said, there's a strong place for you, and we want you to be president, but it's going to be four years from now. But DeSantis said, screw you. I am the guy right now. I'm 44 and I cannot wait four years. My window is right now. Impatience. Impatience. Foolishness. Foolishness. And history will bear out that I, on this program, the Drew Allen Show, your millennial minister of truth, am correct. So I address all this in my book, America's Last Stand. Will you vote to destroy, save or destroy America in 2024? If you haven't got your copy, get it. You know, by the way, Thanksgiving's coming up, Captain. And it's tomorrow, as a matter of fact, so it might be a little late. But, you know, the book you order, you get it like the next day, I think. We do need to talk to people about politics. We have to actually persuade them. We have to get uncomfortable. Not in people's faces screaming at them, but we have to talk about politics. we got to save the country. We've got to convert people and take, um, you know, the, the, the burdens on us to do that. It's our responsibility. But if you're not quite ready for that, Honestly, what I would suggest, and that's why I wrote the book too, is to give my book, which is what you would want to say to that person, it has the truth in it, it's America's red pill, give my book to that family member as a gift or someone that 
has expressed that they, you know, if you know Cardi B, for example, if you got a Cardi B in your life, give Cardi B the book and say, hey, I'd really appreciate it if you would read this. And look, I am nice in the book. I, the Drew that wrote the book is uh, far more magnanimous than the Drew that's on this show sometimes, okay? So it, it shouldn't hurt anybody's feelings. It's just the truth. It's facts. And so you can give somebody that book and ask them to read it, and then you can talk about it with them. And then you can have kind of, because the problem is when you, when you just engage in a, in a conversation or try to engage in a conversation with somebody who's been glued to CNN their whole life, you, you, you can't communicate because they don't know anything you're talking about, and all they talk about are things that aren't true. So this book actually gets you on the same page. You've actually got a set of facts as a basis of a conversation. Amen. Amen. All right. So anyway, so all this stuff with DeSantis, I just want it to be over with. Um, you know, it's just we're losing ground here. We should be backing Trump at this point. And I get it. You say, well, we shouldn't be crowning anybody. Well, it doesn't have to be a crowning. If we had people who weren't selfish, I mean, you think Nikki Haley's in this race because uh, she's actually good for a man? No, she's being, it's amazing. You know, there are a lot of women, Captain. Some of you listening, you're probably like screaming, I'm I'm never listening to Drew Allen again. A lot of women like Nikki Haley because she's a strong woman. And I get that. I get that. But unfortunately, she's a neocon. She's never... Seen a war she didn't love. She's not conservative. She's, she's the same old, same old. I mean, she is like the establishment candidate. I mean, she, she's basically a Mitt Romney. And, you know, she made a fortune after she left. Uh, she was the ambassador, right, to the UN. After she left the Trump administration, she's become a multimillionaire from uh, deals she's made with these defense firms defense contractors, and so on and so forth. So she is uh, a, um, well, one of these individuals like John Boehner who comes out and, you know, he's out there lobbying. She's a lobbyist. She's a lobbyist is what I'm trying to say. She's a DC lobbyist. That, that's essentially what Nikki Haley is. And, and I would love, a, sure, a female president at some point, but I'm not a Democrat. If the right one presents herself and she's amazing, great. Let's do it. But that she's not there right now, all right. But uh, anyway, so I, I, you know, I just anyway, it's just whatever. Let's move on. I got a lot of stuff to get to. I got some some stuff. All right, Captain, cue up, cut one. I I don't know honestly how any Democrat can buy this or continue to support the Democrat Party at all. These people are such lunatics, and I mean that. I'm not being loose with my words today. Sometimes I just throw out the retard and the idiot and whatever else. And I get it. People are like, man, Drew, you're smarter than that. Don't do that. But, you know, some days I'm tired and that's what I got. But I'm being specific about my language today. You know, I'm joyful. It's Thanksgiving Eve. I'm happy. I'm in a good mood. I got Captain here. God bless Captain. He's a wonderful person and friend. Uh, So I'm being very, very intentional about my language. These people are lunatics. Now, We have experienced, of course, the Democrat Party. What are they doing right now trying to put their political opponent, Donald Trump, in prison? Look at what they've done to the J6 protesters. By the way, the video's been released, so I will give credit. I've got to give credit to Speaker Mike Johnson. I was rough on him last week. And much of what I said still holds true because he's got a lot to prove. But he did release the J6 tapes. And they really not telling us anything we didn't already know, to be honest, but it was a promise that was made that McCarthy failed to uh, follow through with. And Speaker Mike Johnson actually did. So credit where credit is due. But we've seen the video, and I got to tell you, I I talk about it in my book, but J6, January 6th, was absolutely orchestrated by the left and people who didn't want Trump to be president. That's what happened. Um, and what you do see in some of this video that was released is the police that are there firing rubber bullets into the crowd. Now, this is significant because this is exactly what police are told not to do 
throughout the country when BLM riots or anything else because they don't want an escalation. If you fire rubber bullets into a crowd of angry protesters, what do you think is going to happen, especially when you are outnumbered? You're going to agitate them, right? So I guarantee you, Captain, I'm not a cop. I'm not on a police force. I don't have a background like, you know, Dan Bongino. I'm sure he's probably addressed it. I don't know. I haven't had time to listen to anybody. But I guarantee you what they did is exactly what they shouldn't have done. I mean, with BLM, Captain, we saw it. Police forces were all told to stand down. And they still burned down. And we still didn't have it as bad as that, right, with these guys. And we saw the doors open. They're walking around peacefully. There was no violence inside the actual building. So, yeah, it just confirms what we already knew, that everything was done to create what could be presented, misconstrued as an insurrection. And so out of that, you have all these protesters who are still being hunted down to this day by the left and put in jail for walking inside the Capitol. So who's being persecuted? Whose political opponents are being punished? Who's being targeted in this country? Who is benefiting from the FBI and CIA lying and covering up bribery charges? Real, real evidence of bribery, I should say, by the president of the United States, Joe Biden. Meanwhile, they make up things to go after Trump. And this is the thing that bothers me about the DeSantis thing too, Captain. They act like, you know, I heard, I heard a clip to end with DeSantis to stop talking about it, but I heard a clip and <clears throat> DeSantis was on with Jake Tapper and he suggested that the reason that Donald Trump didn't complete his agenda and one example was the wall was that he got distracted in the early days of his administration. Did you know that Captain Trump was distracted? It's his fault that he just got, he's like a dog or a cat with a laser point. He just couldn't focus. It, it wasn't because there was a coup going on in which many Republicans joined in on trying to destroy his presidency with literal treason, which was the Trump-Russia collusion coup. And then we had that followed up with a quid pro quo lie, which was used to impeach him. But according to DeSantis, Trump was just distracted. This is why I can't get on board with DeSantis, because the most important issues of our time, he cannot address because they benefit Trump. Anyway, all right, play uh, Joe Scarborough. This is him warning what's to come if Trump is reelected in 2024. This is all they got. Go ahead. He will get away with, he will imprison, he will execute whoever he's allowed to imprison, execute, uh, 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 drive from the country. Just look at his past. It's not really hard to read. The only, again, the only thing that stood between him and the destruction of American democracy was the federal judiciary. Man, this guy was living in a different planet, on a different planet than me, Captain, because I remember life under the Trump presidency. And it's weird. I don't recall him trying to execute anyone of his political opponents. Uh, so he didn't do it for four years, but now suddenly Trump's going to just start putting up the gallows and hanging anybody who disagrees with him. I mean, there's a silver lining to this, folks, and that is the desperation. They, they, they seethe with venom and hatred, and it's all born from desperation because the Democrats know they're done. They know they're vulnerable, and they know that actually if we would back Trump and support Trump instead of trying to tear him down, that we could, you know, have a KO punch. But, you know, our selfless, selfless GOP presidential hopefuls like Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, they just, you know, they're doing it for America. They're destroying Trump for America, don't you know? Now, cue up to cut uh, two, Captain. 
So you heard Morning Joe talking about how Trump uh, can't be elected president. He's going to execute his political opponents. He's a he's a you know a dictator. And meanwhile, you have this representative, Democrat representative Goldman. Goldman is was the lead spokesperson defending Biden against allegations of bribery. This is a scumbag. Again, using that word intentionally, this is a scumbag, a lowlife. Now, I want you to hear him talk about Trump. Now, you tell me who's got the dangerous rhetoric. You tell me who promotes violence against their political opponents. You tell me who's the real threat, Donald Trump or Democrats. Go ahead, Captain. Cut to. It is just uh, unquestionable at this point that that man cannot see public office again. He is not only unfit, he is destructive to our democracy, uh, and he has to be uh, he has to be eliminated. Oh, my. He has to be eliminated. Now, what do you you think? I wonder. I got to check, Captain. I think his show has already happened today, but. I wonder if Joe Scarborough addressed this on his show. The fact that Representative Dan Goldman called for Trump to be eliminated. Now, do you think, Captain, if Trump called for Biden to be eliminated, you might have a media that would viciously attack Trump for his words? I think so, wouldn't we? Yes, yes. But here's Goldman. He can't. And and honestly, this is very dangerous. The Democrats continue to drag Trump to court cases. They force him to make these public appearances in which it's impossible for his Secret Service to really do. I mean, it's just it's, it's an impossible task. Dragging him in these vulnerable places all the time. And you have Goldman speaking to people out there calling for Trump's elimination. Unbelievable. And it's amazing, too, Captain, because we just saw Biden, Janet Yellen. We saw... Gavin Newsom, all slobbering over Xi when he came to San Francisco. This is a real genocidal dictator, and they love him. They don't talk about Xi this way, but they talk about Trump this way. They kissed his arse, bowed down, praised him. As a matter of fact, cue up cut four first, Captain. I want you to hear Janet Yellen talking about Xi. Go ahead, Captain. In coming, going forward... Did you feel any more confident coming out of this around the future of Taiwan and Taiwan's independence? And the reason I ask this question is from the readout that came out from that meeting, there was a suggestion that uh, President Xi still does have every ambition uh, to uh, one way or the other take over that country. But at the same time uh, that he doesn't necessarily want to do that militarily, Um, he said publicly with some of the CEOs, he does not want to have some kind of military confrontation. But how do you square those two ideas and how do you think Western and U.S. businesses are supposed to think about that? Well, President Biden made clear that our China policy, our Taiwan policy has not changed at all and um, that we want to see uh, peaceful relations uh, continue and um, certainly to avoid military action. This is clearly a very important um, issue from China's point of view. And President Xi did express uh, the view that it's important for uh, Taiwan and uh, mainland China. I've never heard such weakness, Captain. Xi is saying, yeah, I want Taiwan. That's my intention. And I would prefer to take it peacefully. And she just sits there. She doesn't condemn what he's saying. She doesn't even seem to recognize what Xi is saying, which is, I'm going to take Taiwan one way or the other. I can either do it peacefully. And the way they would do it peacefully is that we would exercise pressure and we would not come to Taiwan's defense. That's how they would do it, peacefully. The, the, The Taiwanese people would just have to lay down. And so you have, so this is a problem. It's going to lead to a war. And of course, you have Xi who's saying, yeah, I'm going to take Taiwan at some point, whether peacefully or militarily, it's going to be mine. And you have her just acting like, yeah, it's an important issue. Unbelievable. But, you know, Trump, we got to get Trump. All right, let me let me just move on here for a second to 
this uh, Israel deal going on. So Joe Biden, to his credit, I will say, Captain, even though there's nothing upstairs today, I don't believe that Joe Biden is an anti-Semite. I, I believe that Joe Biden actually does have a traditional view towards Israel, which is that they are an ally. And that has been a traditional view for uh, Democrats, despite anti-Semitism in their party and so on and so forth. The, the, the political philosophy until, you know, Barack Obama, more or less, was okay. Yeah, we, we, we're, we're here for Israel. They're a great ally. We support them. But Barack Obama was an anti-Semite, and his policy towards Israel was they don't have a right to be there. They're occupying Palestine. That was the attitude of Barack Obama. And that's why he sympathized with radical Muslim terrorists over Israelis. And the Democrat Party right now, they've obviously been consumed by the radical left, right? All of their policies have moved to accommodate the lunatics. They want abortion without term limits. They support that now. Uh, the transgender policies, right? Little, little Johnny can cut off his pee-pee at 12 years old. That's a right. I mean, the Democrat Party is, is absolutely consumed by the radical wing. And their policies reflect that. So it's no surprise to me that the policy towards Israel would shift that direction too. And of course, those same rogue elements that are really the majority of the party now that want all these other crazy things well, they also are pro-Hamas. So starting at 10 a.m. on Thanksgiving, their time obviously over there, uh, they're going to supposedly start on this, this hostage swap. So 50 women and children are going to be released by Hamas, something like that. And in exchange, I think 50 or so um, women, and they call them children. I don't know what they describe a child, but uh, women and children who are prisoners in Israel are going to be given to Hamas in exchange. So I want you to understand the difference here. You know, no one's explaining this, but you know, it, Israel doesn't have hostages, right? So if they have prisoners, it's because the women and quote unquote children, a children, a child is probably, you know, 17 or 16. I don't know what they call a child, but that person's in prison because they committed crimes. So Hamas is going to get criminals back in exchange for returning people they kidnapped. And the problem with this is they're going to do a four-day ceasefire to start. And who's that going to benefit? Hamas is going to have time to regroup. Hamas is going to time, have time to kind of uh, get a strategy together, reinforce themselves, and make it more difficult for Israel, who says they're going to continue fighting after this ceasefire anyway. So this is kind of a joke. It's a temporary ceasefire. And what's going to happen is, the media is going to attempt to humanize Hamas. Because Hamas, look at them. They're giving back these women and children to the Israeli. I mean, that's where this is going. And the effort here is for many in the Middle East who are already calling for a ceasefire because they hate Israel as well. Well, that pressure now is going to be ramped up and used to get America, the United States, to adopt that same position of calling for a permanent ceasefire, which is what you hear from the radical uh, pro-Hamas supporters in Congress. Rashida Tlaib, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, these people, right? Ilhan Omar. And, and, and one of the reasons you're seeing political pressure for the Democrats to actually <clears throat> shift their policy openly to being pro-Hamas is because in the swing state of Michigan, for example, where Ilhan Omar was elected, you have a massive population of Muslims from Somalia. And these people are turning on the Biden administration because the Biden administration is still friendly to Israel. It's a crazy situation in America made more complicated by immigrants who shouldn't be here. And, you know, Trump could have gotten this done. You know, we worked with Qatar and these other places apparently to get this deal done. You know, back in 2017, you have to remember, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, Bahrain, United Arab Emirates, Egypt, they don't want anything to do with Hamas terrorism. They really don't. And back in 2017, those very countries, they imposed these embargoes on Qatar because they said Qatar supported terrorism and Qatar denied it. 
Well, we know now, of course, that Qatar is home to Hamas leadership. In fact, the leader of Hamas lives freely in in Qatar, in Doha. And Trump could get something done here. I mean, it's just crazy to me. It's like the Israelis are the victims here. And we're doing a deal now to get the hostages back. And they're going to call for this to be permanent. They're going to try and use this ceasefire to say, okay, you need to pause this permanently. It's just, it's a trap. It really is a trap. But I'll end on some good news, Captain. Um, you know, happy Thanksgiving, firstly, to those illegals who are all here and flowing across the border today and tomorrow. They don't know what Thanksgiving is, uh, but happy Thanksgiving to you who don't belong here. And I'm so happy and thankful that uh, Mayorkas, who denies the fact that the border is open, well, he has given a command to the Border Patrol. He sent a directive to the Customs and Border Protection telling them not to misgender the illegals coming across the border. So happy Thanksgiving to you illegals out there. Uh, I'm so happy that we live in a country that not only invites you in to break the laws of the land, but also has great respect for you as a human being so as not to misgender. And you know these illegals, Captain, they're like, what the hell are you talking about? No, I'm a a guy. I'm a guy. I'm a girl. It's just the efforts this administration goes to to adopt and uh, promote their lunacy is incredible. So anyway, next thing we know, Captain, Mayorkas will be uh, telling the Border Patrol to ask the illegals if they identify as legal or illegal. I'm sure that's coming down the pipe. But anyway, look, it's been a a pleasure being with you uh, today. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Um, We live in the greatest country ever, and you are what make this country great. So God bless you. I'll be back with you next week. And until next time. Talk to my friend Drew Allen. I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've I've become a big fan of your writing. the great... Young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. Has Drew Allen. Hard conservative. I look to this guy for wisdom.